So we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 tonight. And uh, this is once again something that's very, very practical. Um, this, is our, this is our third problem among God's dysfunctional people that we're dealing with. The first problem that took the first four chapters of 1 Corinthians was division within the church. I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I am of Cephas. Oh, we're of Christ, right? And uh, of course, uh, that's a whole lot like our denomination, denominational divisions today. Uh, we talked extensively about that. And then in chapter five, the second major issue that Paul is addressing with this letter uh, related to the man who was uh, having sex with his father's wife. And as I indicated during those two lessons, uh, this was a stepmother, not his birth mother. And in all likelihood, uh, this wasn't just that the church found out that they were having a, an affair, uh, what we would say today, but they probably moved in together. Um, there's a good likelihood that the you know, the dad said, you know, back then divorce was very easy if you were a man. You would just say, I divorce you, and she was on her way, which is why there was a dowry. Um, women didn't have the ability to make income often, although Lydia in Philippi, the seller of purple, she had a, a way to make money, but most women did not have the ability to make money. In fact, I can remember when I was growing up, uh, it was difficult for that. That was when you really did see a significant difference between how much women earned and how much men earned. Women earned far, far, far less. And uh, they were only qualified for certain more, uh, I don't want to say menial, like they're not important, but those would, the, would be the terms that we would have used. Uh, my mom worked her tail off raising us. Uh, she worked... Uh, for Honeywell assembling circuit boards, uh, you know, on a uh, assembly line. And uh, she worked as a cocktail waitress. And then she worked as a bartender. And it's ironic because she didn't drink. <laughs> she was a bartender and she would just smell the drinks. And she said, here you go. You know, that's how she could tell. So, but yeah, if you're the bartender, you don't have to drink. You know what you're mixing and all that other stuff. But um, in... First century Rome, women just didn't have jobs. So that's why there was a, what we would call a dowry. The, the husband, the prospective husband would pay the family this sum of money, this lump sum of money. Well, that was insurance in case he divorced the, the woman. And she had to go back and, uh, you know, her father had to take care of her. Well, there was money there uh, to help do that. So... Um, it is likely that this man's father had, you know, divorced her, separated from her, and then she just moved in with the son. And I don't mean, you know, being a roommate, hanging out, you know, there's an extra room over there. I mean, moved in with. So that was chapter five. Uh, the Apostle Paul said, nope, I don't even have to discuss this. This is wrong. The church can't accept this. Uh, being tolerant of this kind of Wickedness is, is not what God's people are about. I'm not even there. I've already made the decision. You need to put this man out of the church. And Paul was not saying, as we indicated, that the man was not saved, that he wouldn't eventually uh, enter heaven. 
but he was saying that he was in an extreme state of rebellion and he said, I'm just gonna turn him over to the, to the devil, turn him over to Satan. And you know, sometimes you just get the consequences of your behavior and that's what corrects you. Now we're in uh, the next problem and that is apparently there were not just divisions, but there were people that were so angry with each other that they were suing each other. They were taking each other to court. So uh, we're gonna read 1 Corinthians 6, 1 through 8. When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare to go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more than matters pertaining to this life? So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers. To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. Now, uh, he uses the term brothers here. This encompasses all of God's people. You'll have uh, more contemporary translations that may say brothers and sisters. This is actually an inclusive sense of that word. Um, while there was still this tendency to follow the, the, the social standards and norms um, without completely upsetting the Roman Empire, um, the church was notorious for treating women uh, with equal standing with men. And uh, so you have at the end of the book of Romans, uh, a woman that is uh, given equal standing with all of the men that Paul speaks to. Apparently there was a church meeting in her house. Um, there is the famous couple. In fact, uh, if I remember correctly, Paul met the, this couple that I'm about to mention in Corinth and their names were Aquila and Priscilla. But there are times when Paul, oh, he always mentions them together, never apart. But there are times when Priscilla's name is mentioned first, Priscilla and Aquila. Uh, so these are just uh, examples. So let's, uh, let's take a look at this. Um, verse one, when one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare to go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? And then picking up again in verse five, can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between brothers? Brother goes to law against brother and that before unbelievers to have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat. So when there is disagreement among Christ's followers, it should be settled by Christ's followers, not by the world. And I have seen, uh, so I came to faith in a Baptist church and discovered that it was a, an SBC church, that is a Southern Baptist church, which is the largest Protestant denomination in the United States. Um, it hasn't grown much over the years, but it's still the largest Protestant, Protestant as in non-Catholic denomination in the United States at somewhere around 15 million followers. They just had their annual meeting, I wanna say it was in Nashville, is that where it was? Uh, Anyway, they just had their, their, they have a big annual meeting every, every year where people send messengers. 
Um, we are a part of the Southern Baptist Convention, although I don't really ever participate and do any of these things. There are multiple levels that we're dealing with here where you have the Southern Baptist Convention, you have the Baptist General Convention of Texas, um, and then you have the Dallas Baptist Association, and they are all entities and organizations that really just provide resources. Um, the difference between a church uh, that is still a participating member of the convention and churches that are not uh, is that it is a voluntary association and there is agreement theologically and then there uh, we support missions and seminaries and those sorts of things um, within that, uh, that organization. I mention this because there have been over the years, and there is ongoing right now, lawsuits in the Southern Baptist Convention, where at that, that national level, something is going on, um, and there are members that are unhappy with members, again, of this national organization that are unhappy, and they're taking people to court. Um, there are a number of cases right now uh, that are pending related to this. Uh, there have been situations in not just, uh, I make you aware of Southern Baptist churches, but there have been cases in uh, a number of churches where uh, former members have been dissatisfied and sued the church um, because of a failure to act in certain areas. And sometimes uh, there is a a real reason to be upset and a need to redress grievances. Um, for instance, there is a church, I wanna say it's called Sovereign Grace, it's a reformed church um, that uh, had uh, a series of difficulties with, uh, uh, of a sexual nature in the church and the, uh, the, the parties that were harmed were suing the church um, there's, this happens again and again. It's not uncommon, but it is typically going to happen when there's money involved. It's typically going to happen when an organization is much, much larger. And, uh, you know, that way when people have been harmed genuinely or when they are simply saying that they've been harmed in some way because uh, they're angry with the church or with the staff or whatever, uh, there can be a tendency for them to simply go to court, take them to court. But the Apostle Paul is very clear here. That's not what we're supposed to be doing. So there may be something serious, again, uh, something of a, of a sexual nature. The former president of the seminary that I attended, now he was not the president when I was there, but uh, in the wake of the, we, we have these major movements in the culture and they usually have a, a solid reason behind rising up, but then they can be taken to extremes. But if you remember, do you remember the Me Too movement a couple of years ago um, where uh, many women were coming forward and talking about having been abused or, or raped or taken advantage of? Do you guys remember this? It was. It was like BLM last year. This was, it was all over the place. It was, I wanna say 2018, 17. Um, in any event, it was the, the movement was hashtag Me Too. 
And so there were lots of women who were posting these tragic stories. Um, well, in the wake of that, it, th there was traction that was gained against notorious abusers or abusers that had been uh, so powerful that they were untouched, the most notorious of which perhaps is Harvey Weinstein, uh, the, uh, the movie mogul who is now in jail for doing what people have known Hollywood does for years, and that is betting all of these little starlets and offering them opportunities to be in movies if they would do what he wanted them to do. But there was a, uh, the uh, president of Southwestern Seminary um, who was also the architect of a major takeover of the Southern Baptist Convention in the 80s um, was called on the carpet for not having addressed a, uh, a rape allegation at a previous, uh, I think, seminary or school where he had been the president. And that gained so much traction that uh, he got fired. So there, what should happen is that these cases should be handled within the organization among God's people. And if the organization itself, for instance, as is the case with a seminary, refuses to look at the case because they're protecting this person, then other believers should be called in to give a, a fair hearing to that person. One way or the other, whether it is something that is considered to be large or small, um, Christians should be capable of handling this themselves and handling it with justice and handling it with wisdom. Um, let's say it's a small matter, small, uh, you know, by comparison to these issues I've been addressing, a small matter within the church. Um, then the, the people who are at odds with one another, who are disputing with one another, um, should be willing to meet together. They should be willing to call in other believers to meet. And in a moment, we're going to look at Jesus' uh, Jesus' method for, the, for this. But we should always seek wisdom. Here's a series of Proverbs regarding uh, gaining wisdom by bringing other people into the discussion. So um, you're at odds with someone. They're accusing you of something or you're accusing them of something. Well, as often happens today, the two parties can just stop talking. Uh, if there's money or injury involved, one party takes the other party to court, or we can do what the scripture says and what the Apostle Paul says, that we should handle that in-house, so to speak. And we don't have to feel like we're alone, right? We need to, we need to get other people involved. When I just wanna do it myself, well, Proverbs 12, 15, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he who heeds counsel is wise. So I'm very pr prideful if I can't listen to somebody else um, give me their side of the, the issue or listen to someone who is willing to give me their, uh, their wisdom. And then this in Proverbs 20, plans are established by counsel, by wise counsel, wage war. Oftentimes people are waging war against one another on social media or 
um, you know, through their, their channels of communication, uh, families and, and networks of friends and, you know, uh, and as I said before, I've, I've been in, I mean, I've been the pastor of this church for 22 years, um, but I've been in other churches and I have seen what happens when there are people that rise up, they don't like each other and they're divided and they just talk about each other is what typically happens. They just talk and talk and talk about each other. And <laughs> in these situations, typically if there's a fellowship, one party or one group will say, yeah, well, who's going to be there? Because, you know, I don't want to be there. Those people are going to be there. <laughs> right? Um, and then uh, this from uh, Proverbs 24, for by wise counsel you will wage your own war and in a multitude of counselors there is safety. The second half of this is quoted often, in a multitude of counselors there is safety. And, and there's just a lot of wisdom in those sorts of situations. Uh, once again, um, I think a case that was handled well uh, was the, uh, the crisis at Baylor University about five years ago when uh, Art Bryles was there. He was an incredible football coach, but he had pretty much a laissez-faire approach to his players' behavior. And many people have had a difficult time believing that he did not know of some of the uh, things that were going on. There were a number of players that were accused of rape on campus. And so Bryle said that he didn't know, and you know the coaching staff said that they didn't know these things. There was a whole lot of bad stuff that was going on. I mean, ESPN was calling Baylor on the carpet. Well, what they did is they sought wise counsel. Now, this would not be a case of Christians handling this and so forth, but what Baylor did is they hired an outside law firm that was known for investigating things like this, that was well-respected, and they just gave them carte blanche. They said, investigate it. Just do what you need to do. And they uncovered widespread abuse. The result was Art Bryles lost his job and he was, he made Baylor a phenomenal football power. And they said, you're done, right? Uh, the, uh, the director of uh, all of the, the sports there uh, lost his job. The president was initially moved to, uh, sort of a, um, a ceremonial position and then he was ousted. I mean, they cleared the deck. None of those people are there anymore. Now the president of Baylor is the first uh, female president, first woman president in the history of Baylor. Um, new director of sports, new football coach, all of that because they sought outside wise counsel. What should we do? Now, Baylor has a board of regents, which is the equivalent of a board of directors in a major corporation. And they are the ones that make these decisions. So it wasn't just one guy making determinations, making decisions, or even a, you know, a couple of people and you know, having some, some sort of a backroom uh, discussion. Baylor is older than the state of Texas. That's a fact. And they promote themselves as a Christian institution. And they seek to integrate Christian faith with what they're doing there. So obviously this is not something that they wanna have happening. Um, but you know, this is, in my opinion, 
I'm glad Baylor does so well in the sports arena. It calls good attention typically to Baylor, but not always because we had another huge problem uh, at Baylor in the early 2000s with the basketball program and the basketball coach that was there when one player murdered another player. So, you know, to me, there has been too often a tendency to go out and recruit players and not really look at what you're getting when it concerns the character of the player you're recruiting. You look at how well they play and you say, wow, that's a phenomenal player. We can, you know, let's see if we can bring them to Baylor. But what about their character, right? Um, maybe you're wanting to do some sort of, uh, you know, concerted outreach with this person. Maybe they're not a, um, a, a confessed Christian and so forth. And I don't think that Baylor should just, you know, accept Christians as students or even just accept Christians on their athletic teams. But they really do need to concentrate on character more than they concentrate on success in sports. And um, I think that they've done a very, very good job. But I think as long as we have this sports crazy attitude that's win, 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 then it's too easy to flop back into win at all costs. And so I think that's instructive. Uh, yeah. Uh, and then this final, uh, this final proverb, uh, this is Proverbs eleven fourteen, where there is no counsel, the people fall, but in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. So there it is again. That's the second place where that same statement is made in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. It's good to get advice from others. Have them give you feedback, right? Um, I, I'm happy to receive feedback from people. Um, that doesn't mean that I'm going to agree with what everybody says, but I'm going to seek to listen to what everybody says. Uh, too often today, people are not rational. They're not reasonable. They're not logical. They're just expressing feelings they have. Well, I want to listen to that as well, but I'm going to make determinations on the basis of the Word of God. And we do have a structure in place if you know there's difficulty uh, to call people to account and make them responsible. And that includes me. All right. So it should always be our goal to discover the will and the wisdom of God in any situation. And it must be our commitment to follow the Lord's instruction. And that, of course, is found in Scripture. But it's interesting. Jesus actually gave us direction that we can follow in this regard. And this is, this is actually in our covenant. It's in the church covenant that if a brother or sister has a problem with someone else or if there's some sort of immorality or whatever, we're, that in our covenant it says we agree to follow this <gasps> excuse me, guideline that I'm about to read. This is from Matthew 18. The primary guideline is Matthew 18, 15 through 18, but I've included verses 19 and 20 because it's all in context. Jesus said, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you, 
If two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. So here's the procedure. Number one, you attempt to resolve the issue that you're having with this other person by meeting with them yourself. Not emailing them, not texting them, not dragging it out in front of everybody by social media, not even on the phone, go and meet with them in person. It's really essential, it's important. Now, if you're worried that you know, you're gonna be at each other or whatever, then meet in a public place, but that gives you some privacy, right? But Jesus said, this is the first thing that we need to do. We need to seek to make things right with this person. I mean, this, it was Jesus that said, if you're, if you're ready to lay your offering before the Lord, and you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there and go and make it right. Now, you act in a Christ-like manner. And I will say the same thing that I say when it concerns uh, sharing the gospel with people. Their response is not your responsibility. You can't make them get right. You can't make them change. What you can do is you can lay this out in front of them. You can be sincere and sensitive and honest, humble, and even maybe a little sacrificial. Maybe you will have to um, back away from some of your own feelings and maybe even give up some of the things that you were holding against them. Sometimes we just need to let things go, okay? Um, but I want to first try to go and make things right with that person. Um, now, again, there, there may be instances in which you know, there's no real relationship between you and the person and approaching them would make it worse, right? Um, so, but if you are not able to uh, bring resolution, then you withdraw and you find one or two other people. These need to be trustworthy people. These need to be people that are respected, that are wise, and they should be people that this person respects as well. And then you have a meeting. Again, we're not gonna run a, a text string. We're not gonna create a little group. And uh, this shouldn't even be by Zoom. <laughs> Meet in person, face to face. Now you don't have to worry about getting in a public place or whatever. Just find some place where you can meet. Now I will say this. Um, it is unwise to meet in either of the offended parties' homes because then it's like my turf, your turf. So in the first case, when you're meeting them, go to the coffee shop, get a table off over in the corner and meet with them there. In the second case, where you've got one or two other parties, meet at one of their homes, right? Meet at a class, you know, in a classroom at the church, uh, something along those lines. But nonetheless, now, you've got, you know, yourself and there's something wrong. The other person has offended you. You've offended them. You're trying to make things right. And you bring these one or two other people with you and you work through the situation and you let these other people speak as well. Um, and, you know, you, if I will say this, 
if someone is willing to meet in any of these cases, it's a positive step. Because too often today, people just won't talk to each other. They just won't communicate. They're just mad at each other and they talk to other people about this person, but they won't talk to each other. So if you call a meeting, I say call a meeting, it sounds like a business meeting. If you, if you ask to meet with somebody and they're willing to meet, that's a good sign. If you get one or two other people, and that's why I say these should be wise and respected people, but they should be people that this person finds acceptable as well, then, and they're willing to meet, that's a good sign, usually, right? But let's say now uh, we've gone to that second step and there's still no resolution. So now you move to step three. Step three is to involve the church. Now, the way I have interpreted that is that we go to the, the leadership of the church and we ask for them to get involved. We don't want to bring a, an embarrassing situation, um, a lot of personal conflict out in front of a so-called church business meeting. I've seen these things happen and it can tear a church apart. That's not what we're looking for. So uh, in every instance where this procedure has had to be followed in our church, um, it has escalated to the point where they brought it to me. And then other leadership that have been involved with me have gotten involved in that situation. Craig has, uh, and then prior to this years back, I had an, another older gentleman who was uh, an, an associate here and I would bring those things before him. And you know, we would sit down and we would pray and then we would talk and we would seek to make resolution, right? Um, now, once again, if somebody is willing to meet with church leadership, that speaks well of the situation or it means that they just really believe they're right and there's no way that they're gonna make any change and they're just plowing ahead. But if they're willing to meet and escalate in, all the way up in these situations, it's a good thing. And by the way, this is why it's important for people to be involved in church. See, too often you've got Christians, but they're not in church anywhere and they're arguing with each other and you can't really follow all of this procedure. You can go the first three steps, but you can't go to that next step because they're not in fellowship anywhere. And so you're pretty much stuck there high and dry with that last step, right? Um, but this isn't to say that there would not be a time when you would need to bring an issue before the entire congregation. Um, and uh, if somebody has been involved in something that is having an impact on the entire congregation, then I would say that would be a point in time when the community would need to meet together. And, uh, and then that would be this appeal that Jesus is making when he said, bring it before the church, right? Now, if that doesn't bring resolution, then the church is going to make a determination as to who's in the right and who's in the wrong. And if there's no repentance, then the term that has been used, it's not used in this text, but the term that has been used is excommunication. It's this person or disfellowshipping, right? So we already saw that in chapter five in the case with a man having sex with his stepmom. Um, I mean, Paul just escalated it straight up and said, no, he's out, 
I've already made that decision. But the church has to have the courage to say, you know, there is a wrong being done here and this person is unwilling to make that wrong right so we can no longer have fellowship with this person. And that's the end of the, of the previous chapter. Um, uh, let me see if I can. The Apostle Paul says in 5.11, just a few verses up from where we are now, but now I am writing, you, writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. Disfellowship means disfellowship, right? Now, I, I've given this example before and I don't remember if I gave it last week, but uh, we had a young man that uh, I mentored for some years, uh, great guy, and um, he moved away and I was giving him rides back and forth in spite of the fact that he lived quite a ways away, but he eventually got involved in another church where he moved. And I think he just kind of gradually, his faith just kind of got diluted and he sort of fell further and further away from the Lord. The next thing I heard, he's in Austin living with a girl. And this is, this is a guy that just had been very strong in his faith. And I can't remember why he called me, but, uh, and I loved this young man, I really did. But I said, don't call me back until you move out with this girl. That's it. Doors open, but what happens when somebody like me continues to have fellowship with a believer? Notice the Apostle Paul says, and let's bump up a couple of verses in chapter five. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers and idolaters, since you would need to go out of the world. You have to have business relationships, all these relationships with people, right? But if somebody is, hey, I am a believer in the Lord, and they are living an openly immoral life. You don't have fellowship with those folks. That's all there is to it. Well, they're my friend. This is the word, right? Now, by doing that, I can leave the door open. I can be courteous, I can be kind, I can offer tough love, and I can leave the door open for that person to come back. And I did. Now. This young man had a friend in our church. Uh, I think the friend was still attending our church at the time. And uh, the friend of the young man in question here uh, was actually the one that originally invited him to our church. And he stayed in contact with him and eventually was able to be the conduit for this young man. Now, I will say this, he didn't just move out with this girl. They had a horrendous breakup. <laughs> is what happened, right? And so, uh, Miss Mary, you and I were talking earlier about jumping in and being an amateur providence. Uh, this is a, a good case in which you don't want to step in and assuage somebody's, uh, you know, feelings because they just broke up when they're in an immoral relationship. When they break up in that situation, it's well, that's what needs to happen. And yes, you have a broken heart, and that's. You know, that's tragic, but you put yourself in that position, right? Well, so this young man that I'm talking about came back uh, to, uh, to Garland and 
you know, there was repentance that was evident and uh, he became our youth minister after Craig. And then I officiated his, uh, his wedding to a wonderful lady and yeah, he now has two kids. So see, it doesn't always turn out bad. But sometimes you just really need to put your foot down, whether it's on an individual basis or whether it is a church, we make determinations on the basis of what is true and what is right. And we try to follow Jesus' teaching, right? Now I want you to notice at the end of the passage that I read earlier, um, Jesus gives the church great authority. He says, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So that's the Lord saying, I'm behind your decision. You're not just making a loose canon decision. You're not just making an emotional decision. We're not making a decision on the basis of what the culture does or what the culture says or whether I'm on the right side of history or not. I'm making a decision on the basis of the word of God and God's people who have wisdom and who know the word of God are going to uh, agree with that decision. And then the Lord says, you bind it on earth, I bind it in heaven. You loose it on earth, I loose it in heaven. Now that, that's far ranging consequences. And it has been pointed out in some translations indicate that the language here could also be translated, um, whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven which would mean that we're seeking the mind of God and what he has decided, right? But either way, in these situations, in all these situations, we should seek to have the presence of God with us, among us, and we should pray. What does it say? Um, again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, that's prayer, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. This is in this same context. This is verse 19, right? He's just given us the, the ground rules, go to the person, bring one or two others, bring it before the church, all right? Let them be to you as a Gentile and tax collector. That is, uh, the Jews did not have relationships with Gentiles and tax collectors, but they sought, Christians sought to win them to Christ. Then immediately after that, Jesus says um, that, if, if anyone uh, agrees, uh, the, old trans, the old King James, I think, says, as touching one thing, right? If any two of you agree on earth as, as touching anything, um, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. So we're seeking God's will. We're asking him to be involved in the mediation and in the meeting and in the process, right? We're seeking God's comfort. We're seeking God's wisdom. And then he says, for where two or, two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. So when you go and you meet with this person and you pray with them, that's two people and Jesus said, I'm there with you. When you bring one or two others and you meet with this person, Jesus said, I am there with you. Right? So that's what we're seeking. We're seeking the mind of God in all, at all times. Right? Verse 4. So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? Christian people whom we seek to mediate a dispute must be active participants in the church, right? So um, he is speaking here about uh, 
the secular courts, the Roman courts of the day, but we don't need to be seeking those that are not in good standing in the church to mediate these, dis these disputes, right? We need to appeal to those that are in fellowship with us, right? Um, so, you know, those who stay at home watching Christian TV, listening to Christian radio, or just reading the Bible on their own, they may have wisdom and they may have piety, but they have no standing in the church of God because they refuse to be in submission to the church. Now, you need to understand that. I have heard people say, and I understand it completely, I feel closer to God when I'm at the lake than I do in church. Okay. Could be in the mountains, could be at the ocean, right? But we're called to be in fellowship. We're called together. And Jesus gives us clear instruction as to how we're to handle these things. That isn't handled when you're sitting at home reading your Bible by yourself. Because our tendency, and I will tell you my tendency, I don't want to jump into other people's problems. My tendency would just be to rather just let them go. Let them go do their thing. I don't want to get involved in that. I want to get in the middle of that. And I will tell you this, it is impossible to hold someone else accountable who doesn't want to be accountable. They have to agree. I tried in the early days of this church to have accountability groups, groups of young men, and uh, they'll meet together as long as nothing's wrong. <laughs> but as soon as you got to really address an issue, well, not going to be there. So you go and try to hold that person accountable. Another young man in the early days of this church, young men have a difficult time when it concerns sexual matters. Another young man in the early days of this church uh, was getting involved with a, a young lady um, sexually, and he was in a measure of leadership in our church, and he was in an accountability group. Well, as soon as he became aware that we were aware he wouldn't show up to our little accountability meetings. So, you know, I had been a youth minister. These are still pretty young people. And so I'm kind of treating them like younger people. And so, you know, we basically just, I guess you could say ambushed him, you know, and tried to call him on the, it doesn't work. You can't do that. If people won't be accountable you can't ambush them and make them accountable. They're just gonna run, they're gonna harden. So that's why even on the way to trying to mediate one of these situations, you gotta be praying all along. They're just, you just gotta saturate the whole situation in prayer. And I will say this, the only way a person's heart can change is when the Holy Spirit moves and they will allow him to change their heart. You can't change anybody. Just write it down. You can get a chisel and write it in stone. I can't change anybody. You can't. You can't. You can change you with the Lord's help. I can change me with the Lord's help. And sometimes I can't even do that very well. But I can't change anybody else. We're always trying to fix people and change people. These people in my profession are, right? Helping profession. We want to change and fix them and so forth. You know, it's interesting because even with kids where, you know, you both have more persuasion or if you're a parent 
or grandparents um, or a leader, teacher, whatever in their life, you, you have an ability to, you know, make them do things that are good for them. Um, they still have a mind of their own. So you saw me trying to work with Shiloh. <laughs> no, he knows. He's four and he's very verbal. And, you know, so I'm trying to get him to, no, 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 he knows. <laughs> he already knows. <laughs> and I just like, you know, Shiloh, you didn't, no, 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 he knows. He, he already knows. Well, his parents already know this. This is why Craig wasn't over there, you know, because, you know, he'll do it for Craig. Craig's his dad. Um, but I use him as an example because he's the cutest kid in the world. But he's the example of all of us. We have this will and we just do, I do what I want to do. And that hasn't changed since we were born. I do what I want to do. And my parents may make me do this for now, but as soon as I get out from under them, <clears throat> I'm going to do what I want to do. And of course, this is why oftentimes Christian kids go out and do foolish things for a while because they've been told what they're supposed to do and now they're just going to do what they want to do. But the good thing is the Proverbs say, train up a child in the way he should go and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Though I have often said sometimes when he is young, he will depart from it for a while, right? Um, but we, yeah, we have these wills. But my point in bringing this up is I have seen people change that I didn't even interact with. I just went on praying for them. So the young person that I just told you about in the accountability group, we kind of ambushed him and he just kind of went on the way he was going on and carrying on and living this duplicitous life. I prayed and prayed and prayed. It was almost an experiment. It really was. It was, it was almost just this total experiment. I am going to storm heaven with prayer. I am going to pound on the doors of the kingdom. I want to see this person because this is an, was an extremely, is an extremely gifted and talented person that I saw the great potential in their life. And uh, I prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. And this person ended up leaving our church and it was heartbreaking, but there was so much duplicity and hypocrisy that it ended up being a good thing. But you know what? Full circle all the way around, just like the other young man that I was telling you about, this young man ends up becoming, actually he's a nationally known person to this day, um, an, an artist of some renown. And um, I'm not saying that that's just because of my prayer, but I am saying that is an answer to my prayer. And so when you don't know what else to do, prayer is not like the last resort. Well, I can't do anything, might as well pray. No, I gotta pray because the Holy Spirit can change somebody's heart. I can't. I have found, this has happened on a number of occasions, that I haven't seen somebody in a while and I pray for them and they show up at church. They might not even know why they showed up at church. I've even gone up to people and said, you know what? I was praying for you. That's probably why you're here. But here's the interesting thing. Yes, you can resist the will of God. And yes, the Holy Spirit is, you know, Jesus said, uh, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens the door, then I will come in and sup with him and he with me, right? So 
the spirit may speak, the spirit may knock, the person still has to open the door, right? So we do pray. Um, you would gather then that I am not a Calvinist and I do not believe in irresistible grace. Um, God will ultimately get his way, but he has created the human will and he has allowed us to say no to him. That's why there's a hell, friends. If there wasn't a human will that could actually say no to God, there would be no hell because it is not his will that any perish. People go to hell because that's where they want to be. It's not God kicking them out of heaven. It's them saying, no, I want to go my way. And God says, have your way. But there is no life and there is no love outside of my presence, right? Um, so, um, in the end, he says, you know, you're, you're, you're wanting to have your way, but he, he says, you yourselves, he says, why, why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather just take the injury? And that's Jesus, you know, saying, if someone slaps you on the, on the right cheek, turn to them the other also. If they demand your cloak, give them their, your, your tunic right? Um, if uh, they demand that you go with them one mile, then you go with them two. In no instance are any of those demands just. When somebody slaps you, it's not just. It's not right. When somebody steals from you, it is not just. It is not right. When somebody demands, and this was apparently any Roman soldier could conscript anyone, any healthy young person, to carry his gear for a mile. That's where Jesus probably got this idea, right? So the Roman soldier demands, and so you gotta drop everything you have. By the way, this is also what's behind getting Simon of Cyrene to carry Jesus' cross. They could demand that he do that. Jesus carried it as far as he could carry it, and then they conscripted Simon of Cyrene to carry it the rest of the way up Golgotha. Jesus said, no, you go the extra mile. So you don't just get to the, the next mile marker and drop the soldier's gear and stomp off because this soldier has put upon you and taken away your time. It's unjust. But Jesus gave us a different way to live our lives. And this is, this is the genius of the gospel and of Christianity, love, forgiveness, Humility, sacrifice, that's what we're supposed to be about. Not self-righteous Americans, demanding justice all the time for ourselves. So what was Jesus saying? Somebody slaps you on the cheek, then you turn back. Now this isn't self-defense, you know I teach self-defense, or somebody's wailing on you and you just let them kill you or something. This is about being offended. It's a message that really needs to be carried out in our world today. If somebody offends you, you don't have to offend them back. In fact, this is what I got to remember. If somebody offends you, you don't even have to defend. You have a strong defender. Amen? So if I get slapped on the cheek, I turn to the other also because a slap on the cheek is an insult. It's not a threat to my life or, the, or my family's life. Okay? I'm not young anymore, but I'm still fairly strong carry the soldier's pack one mile, maybe I can enter into a conversation with them. I'll carry it the extra mile. 
right? So all of us need to be aware of that. It's that mindset that the Apostle Paul is hearkening to here. Why not just be wronged and go your way? It's okay. And by the way, this is what's behind what I tell people all the time. When it concerns, uh, you know, Jesus said, if they demand your, your, uh, your cloak, you give them your tunic, right? Um, if somebody wants to borrow from you, Jesus said, you should lend to them. You should give. Here's what I say. Don't, <clears throat> don't lend anything to anyone if you can't do without it. If I, <clears throat> if I lend something to someone, I don't expect to get it back. You say, oh, that's good to know. I'm going to borrow from you. <laughs> but if you want to keep relationships together, don't lend something that you cannot leave and turn, and turn away from. If I got to have it, or if I know that I'm just not going to have the right attitude in lending it out, then I just don't lend it, right? So when I have that kind of a giving attitude, friends, it's freeing because then stuff doesn't have you, right? When, you, when, you, when the stuff you have is so valuable that you can't give it away, then the stuff has you, right? I need to be able to have that open-hearted, compassionate, loving attitude that says, sure, here you go. Well, I don't want to be a doormat. You know what? The Lord is my defender. We all need to stop worrying about what other people think. In fact, we need to stop worrying about how we feel. If we'll open ourselves up to the ministry of the Lord and His Spirit, He's going to say, you know what? You're not a doormat. You're a welcome mat. And you're welcoming them into my kingdom. These messages are not popular, right? But nonetheless... We are seeking the reward that the Lord gives when we allow the other person to have what they do not deserve. I'm looking for the Lord to reward me. I'm not looking for your reward. So somebody this morning sent me a text and said, uh, Pastor D, can you give me a ride to work? Or they said, do you still work for Lyft? Um, I can, you know, I can text you the, the address. I can send you money via Venmo and all this, which even when I was working for Lyft, that's not the way it works. <laughs> to make that work, you have to have the Lyft app on and you have to be sitting right next to where they want to pick you up. And even then it might not call you, right? I've given people rides before when I was on Uber and Lyft and I needed to go through the, the service, but you can't guarantee that you're the driver they're going to get. It doesn't work that way, right? So I said, no, I, I can't, uh, I don't work for Lyft anymore, but I'll be happy to give you a ride. I mean, and I wouldn't expect this person to give me any money. Now, if I needed gas money, uh, then sure, I would be willing to say, and they had it, then sure, you know, I'd be willing to, but I don't need gas money and they needed a ride to work, all right? Well, they ended up taking a personal day, so I didn't end up giving them a ride to work. I went to McDonald's and ate a bacon, egg, and cheese biscuit. <laughs> That's why I'm getting this belly, because I love bacon, egg, and cheese biscuits. I forgot how much I love them. They're so good, right? But I'm looking for the Lord to reward me. Oftentimes, if I'm giving something to somebody, if I'm giving it away or whatever, I'm looking forward to what the Lord is going to do. Right? Not so I can have more stuff, but so I can have more 
responsibility and ability to reach out and, and do more. Because if the Lord gives you more, it's so you can reach out more. It's not so you can have more stuff. We don't need more stuff. I have a storage facility full of stuff. <laughs> we're just, we're overstuffed is what we are, right? Um, there is a prophecy promise by the prophet Micah wherein the prophet appeals to the Lord for salvation, restoration, and vindication. And I'm going to end with this. But as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Rejoice not over me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him until he pleads my cause and executes judgment for me. He will bring me out into the light. I shall look upon his vindication. Then my enemy will see and shame will cover her who said to me, where is the Lord your God? My eyes will look upon her. Now she will be trampled down like the mire of the streets. Woo. So I seek the consolation of the Lord. I seek the vindication that comes from the Lord. And what did the Apostle Paul say? He said, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. He said, you be kind to your enemy. It will be as heaping hot coals upon his head. So that's what we're supposed to do. Somebody makes themselves to be your enemy, seek to be kind to them, right? And I think that that fits uh, this passage. So next week, uh, yeah, a difficult passage, 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And the things that he says in here, he says the people who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That means they're not going to heaven. There are people that are not going to heaven, right? So come next week if you dare. <laughs> All right, God bless you.